listening to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. That's me. And we are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios, where it was nice and balmy outside. Oh, yeah. I we're missed get- most of it, but I did go for a quick walk in the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, we're getting this really weirdo false spring, and I was having a conversation with my daughter yesterday, and I said, you know, this isn't what's this isn't spring yet. We're going to have at least one more round of weather that kicks us in the teeth. It's going to happen in April. Yeah. It, well, or May. We'll get snow on May 4th <laughs> like we did a few years back. Yeah. Yeah. So good that'll times. be fun. Good times. Good to see you, pal. You look a lot better than the last time. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. We, <laughs> how's, that was some suck. How's, how's pneumonia? You know what? <laughs> Not what I would call fun. It's kind of like going snorkeling without a snorkel. Yeah, I, yeah, well, I can appreciate that. Well, you had pneumonia. I had bronchitis. Rhonda had bronchitis. Ugh. And my poor, my poor teeny tiny mother wound up having the pneumonia and the flu at the same time. I knew she and I shouldn't have gone out drinking. Yeah, so much so that I put her <laughs> in the hospital for a Jesus. week. Ugh. She just got out yesterday. Oh. And my dad came home from a golf trip and found her passed out and, you know, cool. uh, that oh. that scared the hell out. My parents are in their 80s. That scared the hell out of them. Well, yeah, and into them. That, yeah. that ain't, that's not something you play with. So uh, part of that became, it, it's, it's tough for me to watch my folks go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But car guy dream, uh, two cars came back to me this week. <laughs> <laughs> Dad's kind of cl- uh, clearing the, well, the corral. He, he said he wants to minimize any of the crap he has to worry about. Doesn't yeah. want to. He wants to get rid of all his stuff, all of it, all the toys. He just wants to focus on what's important, which is he and my mom. I think that's fair. So the little red Mercedes came home. Oh. Yeah, Rhonda was not unhappy about that. Yeah. And the nemesis on this show, the car that I, <laughs> the, the car that never fails to fail. The the one that I always have something negative to say yeah, about. Yeah, except yeah, this week. The yeah. Schadenfreude Express. Das ist the one. Yeah, the Schadenfreude Express came home. <laughs> it was coming home tomorrow. Believe it or not, I went down to the warehouse yesterday and I spent a, a good chunk of time working on it. I got a new battery in it. I got some some uh, sea foam in it. I spent a little time trying to rock it back and forth and mix it around in the tank. <laughs> And I'll be damned if it didn't start right up. No way. Yeah, with a giant V12 cloud of gas coming out the back of it. But it started right up and ran. I have not moved it yet. Oh, no. That car's been sitting <laughs> still in a warehouse for a few years now. I'm a little afraid it's <laughs> it's going to roll like the Flintstone mobile. There's going to be some mighty flat spots in those tires. Oh, yeah. But uh, God love her. That V12 fired right up. I couldn't have been happier. And then I sat in the car for another half hour trying to figure out how do I reset the radio code? How do I get the windows to express up and down again? How do I, you know, all this oh, other crap. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, That's it, a blow punk. It was scary. Gary, when I started it up, every single, 
warning light all the way across the dash lit up at once. I was like, oh, my God. It was sparklier than Das Boot. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a Christmas tree on my dash. From hell. Anyway, she fired back up, and I'm bringing her home tomorrow, and I'm going to start uh, helping get Dad's 65 Stingray ready to sell. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm just going to help him minimize everything. And That's uh, a pretty silver one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Okay. And that thing started right up yesterday, too. Uh, I yeah. spent some time down in the warehouse working on stuff. And now I have way too much stuff. So uh, <laughs> there will be Harleys leaving the garage. Oh. Uh, not all of them, but, nope. but some. Yeah. Some. And... Even with my garage, I got more stuff than it'll fit in it. So yeah. there's there's going to be some prioritizing of cars. Nice. So anyway, great to see you. Glad you're back. Glad you're well. Glad I'm back. Glad I'm mostly well. Um, and I'm I'm certainly glad that my mom's home from the hospital. Amen to that. And resting. Oh, uh, she her eyesight's gotten pretty bad. Dad bought her a TV that makes you feel like you're sitting in the front row at the drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, bonus. It's gigantic, man. <laughs> it almost looks like 3D. It's huge. Nice. All righty. Hey, our special guest this week is automotive historian, journalist, photographer, and director of programs for Philadelphia Simeon uh, Foundation Automotive Museum, Mr. Harry Hurst. Harry cut his motorsports photography teeth in college as the track photographer for the 12 Hours of Sebring Endurance Race. He has published books on the 12 Hours of Sebring and the 1970 Can-Am at Road Atlanta. Harry's work has been published in numerous books and magazines, including showings at the 2013 and 2018 Quail Motorsports Gathering. In 2008, he helped Dr. Frederick Simeon launch his automotive museum. Folks, if you haven't seen the Simeon Museum, you owe it to yourself. That is a magnificent collection. Harry is the founder of the Facebook group Glory Days of Racing with over 152,000 members. Wow. Harry, welcome to Driven Radio. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, I got a little insight on you, sir. What was your first car? <laughs> My first car was a 1953 MGTD, and, and, uh, where? and I, I bought that car because uh, I had seen earlier, you know, like a lot of people, you know, uh, road and track was my Bible, and uh, I remember seeing a salon they had in there for a Squire, and I looked at that car, and I said, oh, my God, that's the most beautiful car I ever saw. I want to own one of those. But they only made six Squires total. <laughs> and so, you know, there's no chance I'd own one. But an MGTD was a pretty close replica for it or it looked very similar. It, now, interestingly, jump ahead, you know, 50 years when I helped Fred Simeon launch the museum, I walked in for the first time to see his collection. And over in the corner, there's a blue car, and I instantly recognized it. It was a Squire. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, what are the chances I, I actually got to see a Squire? And it turned out to not be just a Squire. It was the very same Squire that was in that issue oh, of Raven Track. Wow. Yeah, the very first one ever made, and it was the uh, salon car. So, so honest, honest to God, the car you fell in love with. Yeah, very absolutely, absolutely. Where so, did you find your MG, and whatever became of that little car? 
Well, I, I found it. Uh, I grew up in Tampa, and right down the street from me was a place called Shepherd's Imports, Jack and Joe Shepherd. They actually uh, were going to become the distributor in America for Lotus, and Colin Chapman came over and prepared his Lotus 11 there in their garage, and he and Joe drove it at Sebring in 1957, I'm going to say. And uh, and then uh, uh, they got out of racing, but I'd always walk down there and look at the cars. They had all sorts of stuff. And that's where I, I saw the TD and just fell in love with it. And uh, and Joe Shepard actually taught me how to drive a stick shift. Uh, who, he, oh, wow. he was a very noted uh, driver. Wow. So, and I what happened to it? <laughs> I've still got it. Oh, and that's after all of these years. It's uh, it's still sitting there. I. I've uh, I've had to go through uh, and redo the gas tank this last year, and then I've rebuilt all the brakes and you know new hydraulics, and uh, uh, you know we'll we'll be getting into uh, you know getting her uh, you know back on the road uh, this summer again. So, oh, very cool. Yeah. Well, I think you've given us a partial answer to the next question. How did you become interested in cars and motorsports? Yeah, we uh, growing up in Tampa. It's amazing how many friends uh, you know or relatives you you find you have in the woodworks that live in the cold Northern region. And uh, so every, every March, uh, you know, we would, we would have this group come down from Chicago and they were avid motorsports fans and they would come down to go to Sebring, but they would stay at our house the week before. And uh, we'd be sitting around the dinner table and they'd be talking, you know, you know, about racing and stuff. And I was just totally transfixed, but you know, my after they left, my grandmother said, "Oh, I'm just so tired of all of this sterling that and sterling this." And you know, she she couldn't stand it, but I I just so thought it was leave. really cool. <laughs> and, uh, my uh, my dad took me to my very first race uh, at Sebring in 1965, and of course that was the year of the great downpour and Jim Hall winning in the Chaparral, the Ford uh, GTs from Shelby winning their GT class and the Cobra Daytona coupes running. I mean, you know, it was a classic, classic event. Oh, but it, and, uh, it that, rained, that got and, me rained and rained, though. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, it rained a lot. And uh, and then after that, I, you know, I kept going. And uh, the first couple of years, you know, I was just a spectator and taking pictures with my mom's Instamatic. Uh, and then, uh, uh, I became a flagman for the SCCA, and uh, of course that got me credentials to get into the pits and on the course. And I, I think I, I made my corner marshal uh, very angry at me because I was hopeless as a corner worker, <laughs> but I was pretty good as a photographer. <laughs> and and uh, some of my uh, photographs got into the hands of the press officer at Sebring. And uh, he, you know, called me up and said, hey, you know, would you mind uh, shooting the race for me? You know, so we had some pictures, you know, that we could use and I'll give you uh, uh, credentials for it. And uh, I said, sure. Yeah, of course. And that's uh, that's how it started in 1969. And uh, I was uh, 18 years old and, uh, uh, you know, started shooting at uh, at Sebring. And, uh, you know, (laughs) then I would, (coughs) you know, shoot at Daytona. For the 24, they would uh, extend, uh, you know, credentials uh, to me. And then uh, Road Atlanta, when it opened in 1970, 
I was there for the very first Can-Am race that they raced, the very first uh, professional. How many events have you covered since that first 12 hours of Sebring, or do, do you have any idea? Well, it, uh, honestly, not that many, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, I got in right at the top of what I have called now the glory days of racing, you know, which I take to include the 50s and the 60s and into the 70s. But beginning in the early 70s, things started to change dramatically. They changed rules to outlaw the 917 and the 512. And and then the gas issue started to really be a problem. Uh, so much so that in 1974, they did not even hold a 12 hours of Sebring. And even so, they still had ten or 15,000 spectators show up oh. for the party. <laughs> and, but, uh, you know, racing just kind of, uh, I, I lost interest in it. I started an English sports car repair shop up in Tallahassee at the time. And I, I, I had other things to do. But I started getting back into it. I eventually uh, went into advertising and public relations and had a number of automotive accounts uh, as clients. And so I started going back to races as, you know, handling their sponsor relations. So, you know, I did IndyCar for a while with Allinger Jr. And I've uh, done, uh, you know, some NASCAR stuff with Penske Racing. And, you know, so I've been back. Uh, uh, I have only recently reestablished my contact of going back to Sebring. In fact, I'm getting ready, you know, for next month's race uh, going back there. I'm shooting for... Uh, Octane and Magneto magazines and Cavallino, uh, who I also write for now. Octane and Magneto uh, magazines that our friend Dave Kenny writes for. Yeah, yeah, nice. absolutely. So do you have a favorite event, either one from the past or just one that you like to go to, one that keeps you coming back? You mean a single event or or just an event in general? Either. Well, it. it you know, I'll tell you, back in the day, you know, Sebring was the dumps. I mean, it was horrible. And and when I went to Daytona for the first time, I thought, oh, my God, this is great. You know, actually clean restrooms. And, you know, and then I went to Road Atlanta and I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And uh, but over the years, I, I keep coming back to Sebring and uh you know, I've I've been back now oh, three or four years, and even with the new technology, and I got to admit, I don't know hardly any of the drivers anymore. Uh, you know, to recognize them, uh, but there's something about Sebring, the heritage of it, the history. You know, and and they have the same concrete uh, pit straight that Juan Manuel Fangio and Sterling Moss and all those guys drove on. You know, there's just something about the place uh, that I think is is much better than any other race, uh, even to a certain extent than Indy. And, and Indy's pretty special. Yeah. Uh, if nobody's if you've never been to Indy for the start of that race, that's uh, that's really well, something. I've been. I've been. Yeah. But uh, but Sebring is, you know, I, I just have a soft spot for it. Now, if you talk about one single event again, it's Sebring 1970. And I did a book on that event, and uh, that was the year that Steve McQueen and Peter Revson uh, almost won the race outright. It took Mario Andretti had to jump into the second-place Ferrari and chase him down, and he won the race by 23 seconds after driving for 12 hours. Wow. Now, in today's world, 
23 seconds at the end is not that big of a deal. No. You know, I think last year at Sebring, it was 0.6, you know, and they <laughs> sprint the entire race. But back then, 23 seconds was unheard of. Normally, it would be 23 laps in some cases you would win by. So it was it was a really uh, special race uh, and uh, one, of course, with a 917. And uh, all the great drivers at the time would come to Sebring. So, you know, you got to see the top Formula One drivers. Dan Gurney was there, Francois Severt, Pedro Rodriguez, uh, you know, Brian Redman. You know, all the, all the really great drivers were there. And uh, it was a very special time. Is there anything you haven't, that you've not shot that you would like to? Oh, I, I've never really shot races in Europe. I mean, I would... I would love to have shot Monaco in the day. Uh, I don't know that I'd care so much now about doing it because I know, well, first of all, Formula One is unbelievably restrictive for photographers. It's just not like it used to be. And I think I would like to shoot Le Mans. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to where... <laughs> You know, walking an eight-mile circuit is uh, is starting to get kind of hard. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I would I would like I would like to go. I think uh, you know, and of course, you know, some of the revival uh, races. I'd love to go to Goodwood and uh, and some of those uh, as well. We but, have you know, a, we'll we have a really great friend of the show, a guy named Ped Watt, um, mm-hmm. who's a great friend of mine. And last year he started power walking great distances because last june he went he and his wife went to france stayed there for the month and uh they shot the hundredth running of le mans Uh, and then they they stayed the month toured paris toured france saw everything all over uh she took cooking classes at cordon bleu and then they shot uh le mans classic at the end of the month Oh boy. And he brought back so much fantastic stuff and really magnificent images. And yeah, I I I didn't get a go last year because of my knees, but I think Lamar would be one to hit. I I really yeah. do believe that. Um how has racing and racing photography changed since you began covering it? Well, um racing of course, you know, has has changed dramatically. Uh you know, it used to be and I, I post this on my Glory Days of Racing Facebook group a lot. You know, we talk about, you know, I'll, I'll show some pictures of a photographer, you know, laying on the dirt, you know, at a turn and people comment, oh, my God, how dangerous. And I say, <laughs> I mean, that's just what we did. You know, yeah. I mean, at Sebring, if you wanted to shoot on the other side of the track, <clears throat> you went up to the corner, Marshall, and you said, I'd like to cross. And he said, OK, wait for my signal. And you'd get over on the edge of the track and he'd signal you when there was a gap and you'd run across the track in the middle of the race. <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, it, it just wasn't that big of a deal. Now, I'll tell you something. The, the, the cars, you know, everybody thinks, oh, the 917. Oh, wow. What an awesome car. You know, so fast and everything. The 917 was like a Volkswagen bug compared to the cars they race at Sebring today. They are so fast at Sebring today that when I shoot with my camera, I, I put it on on multiple exposure as I pan, mm-hmm. hoping 
out of the eight shots that it's going to take, one of them will have the car in the frame. Yeah. Now, wow. some of that's due to me being old and very bad reflexes, and slow, <laughs> but, uh, but it, it really, it, it's true. I mean, the cars are just light years ahead uh, in, in their quickness uh, than they were. And, uh, you know, as far as the equipment, uh, I, I just can't believe the, the stuff that we have now to shoot with. I, I didn't want to go out and spend a lot of money on a digital camera. And my son, who was a, uh, I, you know, I used to shoot with Nikon motor drives and all of that stuff and carry a couple of bodies and, you know, six or eight lenses. And, uh, and then, of course, you had to have about 30 rolls of film with you. So, you know, hiking around the five miles of Sebring in, in the Florida sun, you know, <laughs> that was tough. Yeah. And, uh, and they didn't have shuttle buses back then. You walked the entire time. Well, now I bought this little Panasonic. It has a 25 to 600 zoom lens. <laughs> Jesus. The thing, the thing weighs less than, than a 24 millimeter Nikkor lens weighed back in the day. It has no weight to it at all. I can store, what, 4,000 high res images on a card? Yeah. A, you know? a, a and the quality. Or a, or a 256 or a 512 card's a whole lot easier than 30 rolls of film. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, and you got it right there. You know, if you're wondering how it looks, you just look at it. Yeah. You know, I mean, back in the day, we were like, wow, I wonder if I got that. I, I wonder, you know, what, you know, and, and we would shoot in the pits at Sebring and Daytona. Back then, it was absolutely forbidden to use a flash anywhere on the circuit or in the pits. You you could not do it. And uh, and they didn't have any lighting. The, the lighting in the pits at Sebring and Daytona was all bare light bulbs. And so what we would do is we'd take Triax and we'd boost it up, you know, like 1600 ASA, which sounds like nothing today, but that was the best we could get. And so I'm shooting wide open at 15th of a second, you know, trying to get pit stops and stuff. And, uh, you know, now, you know, hell, you can boost your ASA up to 10,000 if you want. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the one thing they can't, you can't get today with now they have all sodium vapor lighting and all of that in the pits. You can't get that gorgeous, high contrast, dark, uh, you know, shadows, you know, the really dramatic light that that kind of uh, light bulb uh, lit uh, area has, you know, just, you know, that's, that's gone. We'll never have that again. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it is unfortunate, but boy, there are some fantastic offsets that we've got now, as far as the equipment's concerned. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, how did you become involved with Dr. Frederick Simeon? In Philadelphia, I was working in advertising. I had my own ad agency and, uh, 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 Michael Furman, who is a noted studio automotive photographer, world famous, uh, we were at an event and there was a, a car there and, it, you know, it was an Aston Martin DBR1. If any of you know, you know, it's one of the most gorgeous racing cars ever made, you know, uh, Carroll Shelby won 59 Le Mans driving one. And, uh, and a friend of mine was with me and he looked at it and he said, wow, is that a real Aston Martin DBR1? I said, no, it couldn't possibly be. They only made four of them. There's not going to be one sitting here in Philadelphia. And Michael Furman was next to me. He said, no, that's, that's a real one. That's owned by this guy, Dr. Fred Simeon. I'd never heard of Fred. Fred Simeon 
was one of the world's foremost neurosurgeons. Uh, He went all over the world. Uh, In fact, he operated on members of the Saudi royal family. They built him an operating theater over in Saudi Arabia and brought him over. Uh, The State Department actually asked him to go over and operate and do that. I mean, he was he wrote the textbook, The Spine, used in medical schools all over the world. And uh, and in his spare time, now he did routinely would do eight surgical procedures every day that he worked, which was an enormous workload. But he was that good and could do it. Uh, And in his spare time, he collected racing sports cars. Now, that's cars with headlights and fenders that could conceivably be driven on the road and that competed at Le Mans, Sebring and all of that. And uh, all this love of cars came from his father, who was also a neurosurgeon. Now, he started doing this back in the day when nobody cared about old race cars. You know, they once they couldn't race anymore, you know, they had no value. And so they ended up over in a corner somewhere. And so he started collecting cars and like uh, baseball teams, he would he would buy, you know, cars that he didn't necessarily want. But he knew that it was a good value and that somebody else might. So he would buy them and have them there. And if a a car came up that he really wanted, he would do a swap and sometimes among two or three different collectors. And the objective there was you didn't want to actually have to sell the car for cash, because if you did, then you had to pay capital gains on it. So what they would do is they would swap around each other and do it in a way so that it was it was an equal swap and you didn't have to pay the capital gains. And he knew exactly the cars he wanted. He tells a story that he he put the names of, of the cars that he wanted to collect in his lifetime on refrigerator magnets and put it up on the refrigerator. <laughs> one by one, those magnets came off. And today, uh, the collection, the core collection of his cars is about 60, 65 cars. And when I <clears throat> I started helping him, doing advertising uh, for him, brochures, uh, you know, things like that, that I, I knew how to do. And, and he really didn't have any idea. And when we uh, decided to open the museum, I, I sent out, uh, you know, invitations to all the editors, you know, to come and visit and along with a press release about the collection. And, and I started calling the editors to follow up and more than one told me I was lying. No one person could possibly have cars like this. These are all replicas why are you wasting my time was and I'm serious. I, I had more than one editor, notable editor, tell me that. Well, the idea that one guy would have a Corvette Grand Sport and a Cobra Daytona Coupe, just those two. Well, how about the Bugatti that won the 1937 Le Mans, the Bugatti tank, only one in the world. Yeah. <laughs> the the Alpha 8C2900B that won the 1938 Milia. You know, I mean, these are these are cars that, you know, just never, ever come available. You I know? wasn't trying and, to minimize the rest of them. I was just thinking no, no. Yeah. if you walked yeah. in any place else and you saw those two sitting together, you'd think, who the hell owns this? <laughs> yeah. Well, Ford, uh, Ford Mark IV. He, he, he has the hippie 917, you know, a, a pontoon fender uh, Ferrari Testarossa. I, I, mean, I have a slot car of that car you know, yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. No, I wheels. mean, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. He has one of every 8C Alfa Romeo, uh, uh, road racing Alfa Romeo that they made. 
And, uh, and Alpha is really kind of the centerpiece of, of the collection. It's one of the largest collection of racing Alfa Romeos in the world. Uh, and I, to show my ignorance, when I started helping him, um, I knew Alphas from Dustin Hoffman in The, in the Graduate. Yeah. You know, actually, that's not actually true. I mean, they had the T-33s at Sebring, but, you know, they, they were not at that time competing to win overall. Uh, you know, but they were, they were pretty cars and they were nice. But I had no idea of the stature Alfa Romeo had in the 1930s. They were the dominant racing car uh in the 1930s and uh you know it, so you know it was it was a real honor to be able to help uh, fred you know launch the museum uh we i've started there a year before we opened in in 2008 and uh you know helped him with all the signage and uh everything but the whole museum as you see it when you walk in the thing that's so striking are the dioramas and how everything is arranged in there and that was entirely due to uh what Fred wanted to do with it. He had pre-visualized the entire place. Uh, I mean, he was a remarkable, remarkable man. You meet very few truly great human beings in your life. And Fred Simeon was one. And, you know, we don't even talk about, you know, the, the thing that distinguishes the collection besides the quality of the cars is that Fred was a very early proponent of preservation over restoration. And he was espousing this well before, you know, a lot of people today. And, and it was not a popular uh, position for him to take because the, the restoration industry is a huge industry. But little by little, people started to appreciate what he was saying, that many important cars, significant cars shouldn't be restored if they can if it can be avoided yeah it's preservation of history they're little snippets in time yeah another one of the things about uh the Simeon foundation museum uh is what it has in in common with revs institute is the cars that get driven yeah 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 we we started very early uh uh you know doing our demo days now we've had to suspend those for a while because uh uh, you know, we're, we're starting to run into a tire issue. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I know you all know that, uh, uh, you know, getting uh, getting racing tires now for, you know, for vintage racing is, is going to be very difficult. Avon has stopped doing it. And, uh, you know, so, you know, a lot of our tires, uh, you know, have just gotten to the point where we can't we don't feel we can safely take them out anymore. So uh, we're, we're going to stop doing the actual demos for a while until we can get that resolved, and then we'll start again. Tell us a little bit about this Facebook group you've mentioned a few times, Glory <laughs> Days of Racing. You've got a massive treasure trove of historic photos on that page. And yeah. uh, I, I, I found out this weekend and, and today you can kill hours just looking at all the shots from all the tracks and all the events all over the world. How much of that photography of your is yours, and how did you get so many other people involved and in contributing? I'll tell you, it it totally baffles me. It really does. I mean, I'm not a social media guru, but. I had started. I had, I had started this group. Oh, I don't know, ten years ago, 
And I would go up every couple of months or so and, and maybe do a post of, of a photograph or something. And, uh, you know, but I didn't pay any attention. Well, we have a house down here in Florida and uh, we were down here in 2020. And uh, I said, I'm going to be productive while I'm down here. So I got all of my slides and negatives and I my scanner and I brought it all down here with me. And uh, because 90% of what I shot, I'd never scanned before. At, at that oh, point, wow. I had never scanned it. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, you go through and you look at a contact sheet and you maybe find two photos you can send to a publication and the rest of them, you know, you don't look at. And uh, in, in the span of 50 years, a lot of those outtakes now have a great deal of significance. You know, whether you've captured a moment of historical importance or a person that's in that photo that used to be nobody you would ever recognize is now significant. I mean, for example, uh, one of the photos I had was of a, a Porsche uh, uh, 906 at Sebring in 1970. I, I took the picture. I didn't even print it. Well, it turns out it was Mike Rahal, <laughs> and that's Bobby Rahal's dad. And Bobby was on the pit crew for that car. Oh, wow. And they won their class that year at Sebring and got this really great letter from Porsche thanking them because that actually helped Porsche in their efforts to win the manufacturer's championship. <laughs> but, you know, you just never know this stuff, you know. And uh, so anyway, we were here in 2020 and I'm, I'm sitting here and all of a sudden COVID hits. You know, and nobody wants to go out. Nobody wants to do anything. And I'm sitting here in the house with nothing to do. So I start scanning these photographs that I'd never looked at before. And I look at it and I write a little two or three paragraphs of copy about it. And I post it up on, on my Glory Day site. And I did maybe, oh, I, some days I'd do 15 or 20 of those, you know, because I didn't have anything else to do. So I notice, you know, it goes from 500 members to 1,000. I go, wow, this is incredible, <laughs> you know. And, and those people start posting their stuff. You know, some are other photographers. Some are just people, you know, that had snapshots. But, you know, we get some in interesting stuff or they cross post, you know, from other groups. And uh, then it goes to 2,500 and then 5,000. You know, and when it, I tell you, when it hit 50,000, I literally, I said, you know, I think I'm just going to close it off and make it a private group because there just can't possibly be that many more enthusiasts that care about old racing, you know, uh -huh. like, like the glory did. <laughs> well, it gets up to 75,000 this time last year. And in one year, we have doubled to 152,000. Oh, wow. And, and I, and the, and, Every day, I uh, you can't just post automatically. To post, you have to be a member, and to be a member, myself or one of the other three uh, uh, admins have to approve you. And that means we have to you have to answer the questions, and and you know we look at every single person. And out of I get probably two hundred requests every day, and out of those, I would say probably seventy seventy five we accept. So we're rejecting probably two-thirds of the people that are even asking to be in, especially if they don't answer the questions and or they look weird. You know, we just don't <laughs> let them in. And then and and we don't we don't take any abusive language, and there is absolutely no politics at all allowed. I don't care either side, nothing. 
And if you do it, you're not warned, you're banned. That's it. There's no second chances. And so everybody knows, you know, it's a safe place to come. We talk just racing. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like people that come in and want to be smart, Alex, and think they know it all. You know, if you know something, you can tell us and you can tell it in a civil way. But you don't have to berate other people if you think you're a lot smarter than they are. We don't tolerate that. You know, I, and, I learn new stuff every day about yeah. stuff I think I know a lot about. So it, my rule is just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Simply well, put. I, at, at the top, I have the rule of the, of the group is I say, like Burr Rabbit said, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. That's right. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we, we try and we try and make it fun. We welcome uh, women uh, in the group. And as a result, I don't allow any sexist remarks. I don't like the, you know, uh, any of the photos that are in other racing groups of the scantily clad women at races. That's not allowed. You know, we don't. This is racing, period. It's not. Yeah you know, gawking at, at, at things. And as a result, I mean, we've got Judy Stropus, we got Brian Redman, even better. We have a lot of the behind the scenes people, a lot of the mechanics, a lot of the team members. We've got a, a guy who was a Firestone tire engineer uh, in, in, in Formula One in, in the glory days. And, you know, so you get the real story, you know, you get real stuff. And and then they post their snapshots, a lot of which had never been seen before. So it's uh, it's it's just been amazing to me. I mean, I, I really I'm truly astounded by it. And, uh, you know, my my job is just to kind of keep it a, a nice, clean, fun place, you know, for everybody to be. I post my photos, all the, the picture that's always at the top of the page is always mine. Uh, and I do that because I own the copyright. And that way, then we don't worry about any copyright infringement uh, issues, which, you know, people are sharing photos and it, it happens. If, if people have a, a problem, if they've taken a picture that belongs to somebody I'll, I'll gladly take it down or, you know, I make the person then give photo credit. Uh, it's unfortunately gotten to be a, a huge issue in this digital, uh, you know, social media age. But we try to we try to respect the photographer and give credit to them where where we can and are able to. I I wasn't exaggerating when I said you can kill a lot of time <laughs> looking through all of the stuff that's on that page, and a lot of it is really extraordinary. Uh, Folks, you owe it to yourself to check that out. Go find Glory Days of Racing on Facebook. Now, Harry, what is Cool Cars for Kids and what makes it different from other charitable organizations? Well, thank, thank you for asking because this is, this is something uh, that's, that's really dear uh, to my heart and, and everyone that, that helps with this. Uh, uh, cool Cars for Kids was founded by uh, Dr. Ian Krantz of the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia uh, back in 2017. Uh, and he wanted to promote the awareness and fund research for the many different types of rare genetic diseases uh, that children are born with. And I had no idea, but over 400 kids are born every day with a, a, a rare genetic disease. And some of these are, are individual. They are, they are unique to that child. 
and and you know and and the the cost to be able to find a cure to find a solution for it can just be staggering and as as more work is being done at chop and and other places like that you know of course it it's becoming easier for them to do this but you know we we need to keep funding this and uh you know that's what uh, cool cars for kids was formed uh you know to be able to be a a, a fundraising uh, uh vehicle uh for uh for Dr. Kranz and for the Children's Hospital of uh of, of Philadelphia and uh, the we have our primary fundraising event uh is is coming up in uh, in June 23rd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Simeon Museum in Philadelphia and it's the Philadelphia Concourse de Elegance and uh, you can get complete info and tickets at philadelphiaconcourse.com and uh, uh you can uh, go there and uh, they have a, a whole write up about what it is but uh, the the concourse it's been able to directly support uh, various uh efforts at the uh, children's hospital of pennsylvania including funding genetic research at the roberts individualized medical genetics center specialty clinics such as the cornelia delang syndrome and related diagnosis center and the kabuki syndrome clinic and family support meetings and uh, now the night before the concourse uh on the uh, uh uh the saturday night before we have a preview gala dinner and that's on june 22nd and that's going to include a silent auction we have a number of of automotive uh related items i generally have several of my prints there for sale uh and then uh, we also one of our board members is uh, coach uh, Dick Vermeil uh who of course was you know one of the coaches with the Eagles and then uh, you know went out and uh, became a coach uh, for the Rams and uh, you know won a Super Bowl elsewhere as did uh, Andy but uh, uh coach uh, Dick Vermeil uh is a car guy I don't know if you know that have you ever had Dick on uh, coach uh no I have not but we had him for a coach in Kansas City for a while Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that seems to be the MO, you know, our our Philly coaches go to Kansas City yeah, for Yeah, yeah. They don't do too bad here. <laughs> <laughs> But uh uh yeah, uh coach uh, uh in addition to being a, a big car lover, his dad uh was a, a sprint car racer uh, oh, wow. and uh, uh is in the uh, Sprint Car Hall of Fame. and uh and coach worked uh in uh, the family garage out in Napa, California where he grew up but he grows uh, uh grapes he's a, a a winemaker and so he will have a wine tasting uh as well at our gala uh on uh, the 22nd <clears throat> now uh this year <clears throat> the focus of the uh, Philadelphia Concours on Sunday is Jaguar and uh uh our president for cool cars for kids Mike Tilson Mike also puts on the Radnor Hunt concourse <clears throat> he's uh, uh being assisted with the uh uh Jaguar uh club of uh, uh Delaware Valley and uh they're going to put together <clears throat> a show of uh, some really outstanding uh Jaguars and and of course other cars as well not just Jaguars and uh so we're hoping uh you know to have a a really nice uh, array of uh, of cars 
and then I conduct a, 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 a seminar on stage. We'll have a number of racing notables or industry notables talking about uh, the, the topic that we have established, uh, you know, for, for the year. We're still in the early stages of that, but last year we had a fabulous uh, symposium on uh, Porsche racing and uh, had Woody Woodard, who built the uh, Sunoco Turbo Can-Am car, uh, Alvin Springer uh, was on the video, as was uh, uh, Hurley Haywood. And uh, then Jack Atkinson was there from Brumos. So, you know, we have people like that, you know, really, really high level uh, people uh, for the uh, for the seminar on Sunday uh, during the concourse. And um, uh, so, you know, we we invite everybody, you know, to uh, to come out. It's a family friendly event. We're going to have the Philly fanatic out there and a and a bunch of other things, probably a, uh, a Mummer's string band uh, for if you've never been to Philly and you've never heard of Mummer's string band. That's uh, that's a very unique uh, experience. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just uh, it's 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 a fun day. Uh, the cars, the Concorde itself is indoors, so it's rain or shine. We do have other uh, car uh, events and displays outside. Uh, so it, it goes, uh, you know, from the inside of the uh, museum to the uh, to the outside and we have food and all sorts of different stuff, uh, you know, to do. So it's it's really fun. The kids love it. Uh, we'll have a, a kids judging, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, section. So we'll have young kids that go through and they they tell us what cars they like and why they like. them. And uh, it's and it's all for, you know, a really, uh, you know, really good uh uh, really good cause, Mark. You were you were asking me before we uh, started taping, you know, about it, and you know, it's it's just really it's it's miraculous when you un- understand, you know, what they're doing uh, with with this that they can actually go in and isolate, you know, individually, you know, these diseases. And uh, it, the trouble, of course, is that to do that you know, is unbelievably expensive now. Uh, but as they do it more and sequencing and the techniques, you know, become, uh, you know, more refined, you know, they're hoping, you know, the cost can come down. But, you know, our, I think medicine is, this is where it's moving is, you know, it's it's not looking for a, a broad, uh, a broad type of solution. It's, it's looking for individual solutions to the, uh, you know, to the, uh, diseases you may have and what better place to focus is on young children, you know, and, and helping them at that very beginning stage of their life. You know, it's, I just feel, you know, every time I, I talk about it, you know, I, I get tingly because it's just so, so humbling, uh, you know, to be able to in some small way, you know, help them with this. And what's and nice so is I, you can, you can uh, donate in several different ways too. When you go to the website, coolcarsforkids.org. They've got three different ways you can donate, whether you want to just make a personal donation, uh, go straight, you know, straight to the horse's mouth. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can do a car wash. You can even donate vehicles. So when it it says cool cars for kids, it's not just the cars that you can do. It's these activities and stuff, and you can get together with a group of people and feel really good about what you've done in a day. I, I I think it's just way cool. It is. And thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Well, we've, we've covered all of the really important stuff. Now let's get into the not so important. 
what is the <laughs> dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. The statute of limitations runs out on some of this <laughs> stuff, so I'm going to avoid I, some of that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure, shy of taking somebody off the grid. <laughs> well, I mean, we've all done dumb stuff and I'm not going to, you know, go there. But I'll tell you, one of the things I I probably didn't use good judgment with, I, you know, I told you I had a 53 MGTD and I bought that when I was 16 years old in Tampa. Now, for any of you people who have been in uh, in Florida in the summertime, you know that at exactly four o'clock, the clouds open up and, you know, the, the you know, the. The, the sky just empties. And I, I was during the summer, I had a summer job. So I had to use my car every day, you know, for work. <clears throat> and I'm driving along and all of a sudden the skies just open up. And I mean, everything just totally floods. And I had the top up and everything. And I'm driving and I see in front of me what is obviously a very large puddle. And I thought, well, oh, no. you know, <laughs> Car's pretty sturdy, you know. I mean, what the hell? What's going to happen? The carburetors are way up. The gas tank is way up. You know, I, I'm not going to hurt anything. So I I drive into it, and it was what I didn't realize. It was so deep. The floorboards on that car are made of plywood, oh. and all of a sudden, I'm halfway into the into the puddle. And I noticed the seat starting to rise <laughs> next to me. You know, the whole car had <laughs> filled up with water and the, and the floorboards were, were rising up above. <laughs> and I, I, I did get through, but I tell you, it was, it was not a real smart thing to do. And, uh, I, and I don't think she, she, she did not appreciate me giving her a bath like that. No, no. I needed to clean the inside anyhow. It's supposed to be a Catholic <laughs> baptism, not a Southern Baptist one. <laughs> but the, the good thing is, you know, with an English car, there's so much oil underneath. I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> and you couldn't screw up the electrics more than they were already so. yeah. <laughs> it, it was sealed anyway so well, you know i've yeah. actually found a few of those here on uh yeah, while you were talking i went to uh, uh facebook marketplace you're looking for 53 yeah. mgs yeah what the hell yeah. I, every other dream has died on me i might as well look at this there's one in st charles for 18.4 with 67,000 miles supposedly uh not a replica because that is one of the things i noticed when i first looked that up and went oh these I've seen so many of those that are the VW replicas. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and to see the the real ones is like, oh, that actually you can kind of see the difference in the lines and in the kind of full body shape. And you I'm can like, tell oh, the VWs they're sealed up better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those plywood well, floors. What a unique idea. You know, and and I've over the years, of course, you know, I've owned a lot of cars. You know, Austin Healey three thousands and and things. You know. Uh, Mark II Jags and, you know, a lot of cars that, you know, I bought for $600 and today are worth $60,000, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. But the TD, you know, when I finished doing the restoration in the mid seventies, I estimated it was worth about $15,000 then. And that car is still worth $15,000. You haven't lost value at all. Look at you. Way to go, Tiger. Consistency. Consistency. That's right. That's right. But, you know, hey, you know, it's your first car. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, what can I say? You know, it's got a lot of memories. That's how I learned to work on cars was uh, was by working on that car. And, uh, 
Hold. I would I would highly recommend it if you're if you are seriously thinking of a T type. Uh, uh, you know, I, th- I think if I had to do it again, I'd, I'd probably do a TF. Uh, they have really grown on me. I didn't like them back then, but the TF has really grown on me. You may pay a little more, but they're a little flashier than a TD. Uh, but the great thing is you can get virtually any part for for the car. I mean, you can get a crankshaft. Uh, they they remake uh, crankshafts now for it, and uh, they're very easy to work on. They're a lot of fun to drive. Uh, you know, I'd be a little hesitant to take my grandchildren out in it. Uh, you know, just for the safety thing. But back when we had our two kids, we put both of them in the back. There's a little back compartment area there where you could put like three or four bags of groceries. We stuck them with their knees to knees, you know, sitting there in that little compartment in the back and we'd drive through Valley Forge Park, you know, on, on a nice fall day. You know, and of course, today you could probably get arrested for doing that. Oh, yeah. In a oh, come on. Where's your sense of adventure? Come on. <laughs> Wait, if you talk about one of the dumbest things I've ever done, that probably in hindsight is one of them. <laughs> We've been speaking with Harry Hurst, Director of Programs for the Simeone Foundation Automotive Museum, and uh, all-around fantastic raconteur. Harry, please tell us where we can find you online and on social media. Well, my website is glorydaysofracing.com, and uh, there's information there. There's some of my photos. There's contact information uh, I don't currently have any of my books available for sale. Uh, they're, uh, they're out of print now, uh, but uh, that may change uh, in the future. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, the link also to my Facebook group is there on that page. And, but it's very easy. Glory Days of Racing uh, Facebook group. And uh, you'll you'll know it when you get there. You know, if it says 150,000 on the members, uh, that's it. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, and then, of course, I'm available at the at the Simeon Museum, too. And uh, if any of your members would, uh, you know, want to, you know, go for a tour around the museum, just uh, give me a call sometime. This I'll be back uh, in Philadelphia this summer and uh, be happy to take any of them for a tour around the museum. And everybody, obviously, be sure to check out coolcarsforkids.org. Uh, fantastic charity, and they could certainly use your help. Harry, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, guys, very much. So, Harry Hurst, uh, guy sounds like he's done a little bit of everything and a, a little whole, bit and a whole lot of some stuff. And uh, that Cool Cars for Kids is a is a fantastic organization and a great fundraiser. It is so hard for parents when uh you know your kid has something that. Not a lot of other kids have that, that there's just not been that much research done into it because it's not that frequent, but this is your child's life. Yeah. So, uh, pretty important. I think if memory serves, I was looking around on their page today and they said they've had 7,000 different specific ailments that they've, they've tried to fund Yeah. research for 7,000 and imagine you're a parent. And you've got a kid, two, three, and one of them suddenly comes up with something nobody's ever heard of before. What do you do? Yeah, what do you do with that? And the like he was talking, the the cost of it is just 
brutal. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's it's out of this world. So what a great organization. It absolutely is. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. Please do us a favor. Something I found out this week, and I've been mm-hmm. talking to Mark about We've been kind of thinking that our download number should be better. Well, yeah, you know, because we're just so damn charming. Well, (laughs) not just that. I I have a lot of people say to me, I listened to the show. I heard this on the show. The kid I was talking to at Haggerty today, adding the Schadenfreude Express to to my insurance policy. I'm talking to him and he said, your voice is very familiar. I'm not your father. <laughs> Daddy, I don't think. <laughs> Is your mom a stripper? Yeah. yeah no kidding. Daddy, no obligations. Yeah. <laughs> he said, your voice is really familiar. And I said, well, I, I host a podcast called Driven Radio Show. He goes, I thought I recognized your voice. Oh, how and cool I talked, is that? I talked to him for a second and... The Schadenfreude Express, for those who don't know, is a 1999 Mercedes uh, S600. It's a a V12, the big body sedan, the S-Class. And he said, I thought I recognized your voice. And I said, oh, you listened to the show? He said, yeah. And and I said, this car is the Schadenfreude Express. He says, this is the car? (laughs) But anyway, we have a lot of people tell us uh, they listen but we haven't thought that our download numbers were accurate for the feedback we were getting. And I found out this past week that doesn't count streaming numbers. So if you stream from a server or from a website or something like it doesn't include those numbers. And the other thing I found out this week about download numbers is Apple doesn't report theirs. You bastards at all. So, it seemed like our download numbers were a little like, guess what? They are. They're light. <laughs> because so if you they're could, listening elsewhere. If you could do us a favor, please. <laughs> Go download. Download the show. <laughs> download all the shows. And delete it if you have to. Just download the damn thing. <laughs> please. Uh, uh, download the shows. We'd really like to see how many people this are really listening. This is the worst telethon I've ever heard. <laughs> Let's go to the big board. Uh and no, we just we'd like to know how many people are really listening. It would, so, be, it would be nice uh, if if you if you got a minute, please uh, download the show. And if you have a story you would like to tell or someone you would like us to interview, please contact me at Brett at DrivenRadioShow.com. I am Brett Hatfield from Mark L. Gross. Yep. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Yep.